Hi everyone, I'm Mumta Minhas, and this is the third and last episode of Creating Third Spaces. In this episode, I'll expand on some of the themes and concepts I've talked about in previous ones, mainly around how these artists find support and strength in difficult situations, expanding on what it's like working in Canada's cultural capital, and we'll hear their advice for up-and-coming artists. Something all these artists have struggled with was acceptance from their parents, and something I understand as well. I haven't even told my parents I'm making this podcast, because I'm terrified of what they'll think. In the past, they haven't always been supportive with my academic and professional decisions, specifically when I chose to go to journalism school, for my undergrad. But they did eventually come around, supporting me with my move to Toronto and attending grad school. Many of the artists detailed similar experiences, and once their parents saw how much they loved their work and how talented they were, things began to change. This was the case for Nurbangu, who struggled at first to have her parents accept her dream. My parents wanted me to be a doctor, and um, it was just like a really traumatic sort of coming to terms with, like, I don't want to do this, but how do I fight for myself and, like, my desire to work in art history or whatever. Like, in Winnipeg, I was only working there for, like, a year and a half or two years, um, but there was a lot of, like, media kind of attention to the work I was doing as well. So, like, you know, like, with brown parents, like, if your daughter's in the paper, then they get excited in a different way. So, like, they show up to all of the openings, all of the events, and they bring, like, 20 of their friends. And it's, like, a big brown thing. And it's, like, it's so beautiful and amazing. And my first, like, big exhibition, uh, they came. And um, they were talking to one of the other Punjabi writers I'd commissioned to do a writing piece for the exhibition. And they were talking in Punjabi, and, like, they started crying with her. And it was just, like, such an incredible moment because, like, you know, for the first time they saw me as, like, legitimate. Oddly enough, curator Hibamian had a similar experience. My family's always been super supportive. Like, I'm the youngest in the in the family. And, like, my siblings have always been supportive. My mom was sort of, like, on edge, to be honest. She would, she would always be like, oh, why don't you do something in, like, IT or, like, computers? Like, you know, this typical, like, brown mom thing. But my dad, to be honest, my dad's been my hero. Like, my dad has been by my side through every single thing. He would take me to get steel-toe shoes. He would take me to get, like, all of my art supplies. I'm sure, like, he thought, like, what are you doing kind of thing. But he still did it for me, you know? And when I tell my parents this now, and I tell them, like, oh, I'm being interviewed here and there. Now they're like, I, like, they don't even say anything. The smile on their face tells me everything. And I remember telling my dad, um, hey, dad. Grab the grab the local newspaper. I'm in the news. I'm in the news. <laughs> he literally dug out everyone's garbage because we didn't have it. And he found the local news for me, came home, brought it home, and he opened in front of me. And like he gave me the biggest smile. And he's like, hard work pays off. Mizba Ahmed, who in the first episode described how she feels like a different person around her parents, also detailed how they have grown more supportive of her as she has progressed in her career, especially after graduating with the prestigious award from art school. <laughs> when I like won the medal... I called my dad, and he's so funny. He was like, I'm so proud of you now. It's like, at least you're honest. (laughs) So, like, what medal did you win? Oh, I won the illustration program medal. Sometimes family relationships can be difficult, as was the case for Pamela Matharu and her mother. It's been a struggle over the course of my career. Like, I've also, like, not drank the Kool-Aid and done, like... Like, I've made my own decisions around my practice and having a practice and maintaining a practice. 
But I mean, I think she's happy that I'm a high school teacher, but it's hegemonic in her mind. But then like she wants me to do other things that I just was not really looking to do, which was like, you know, to get married and have children and things like that. I think she still has this desire that I would just like, you know, kind of straighten out my act and teach full time and that's it. And I'm just like, it doesn't work like that. Like, you know, if I teach, I'm, I'm maintaining a practice. Like, you know, that's why I teach so I can maintain a practice. And those are hard, difficult, difficult conversations. Very difficult conversations, yeah. Mira Sethi considers herself lucky, but she still had to advocate for herself and for her craft. Um, yeah, I think I've been quite lucky in that regard. I mean, I, I did definitely have received pushback from my family and my parents, um, specifically around how are you going to make a living for yourself? How are you going to pay your bills? How are you going to survive? I think part part of that's also, you know, uh, as a queer person, uh, it was sort of a, it was a double um, challenge for them to think about me, first of all, not having a male partner who would support me. And then secondly, also being an artist, which has also, you know, challenged them and, and being a non-commercial artist. But um, they've really sort of grappled with that and really supported me over the years um, from pushing me to do a BFA instead of a, a, a more generalized BA to uh, periodically at different points in my in my work life, giving me studio space in their basement, to showing up at my exhibitions, to helping me uh, transport or wrap work, to purchasing my work from time to time. Ultimately, I believe these parents want the best for their children. And their definition of success and best is colored by their own experiences, of moving across an ocean, struggling to find their footing in a place that was vastly different from their home. So sometimes it took some convincing and faith for parents to understand why their children would want to be artists. Because historically, there have been certain tropes of an artist. That they have a hard time making ends meet, they're tortured, they're suffering. Not to say the artists I've interviewed haven't had their difficulties, but their passion and drive keeps them going. And this passion and drive is what their family saw in them. Some of these struggles come from living in Canada's cultural capital. All the artists live in the GTA, and the majority live closer to downtown Toronto. I was curious to know what they thought about living in the city, and how they found Toronto to be. We've talked a little bit about this already, but I wanted to provide some more perspectives. I myself am pretty new to Toronto. I only moved to the city a year and a half ago and was excited to live in a metropolitan with lots of art, culture, and things to do. I moved here for school, and so did Noor. Noor is the newest to Toronto, coming from Winnipeg, and she definitely noticed the difference in the artistic realm. But I left, and I came to Toronto, and again, it was like like drinking water for the first time, because it was like so many South Asian artists who had followed on Instagram or whatever. But, you know, it was so amazing to see their exhibitions in real time and meet them and talk to them. So it was like a breath of fresh air and so exciting to move to Toronto. But I find that because they've been having these conversations for 30, 40 years, there's also like this kind of point that people reach, like panels, like, you know, like it just like stops moving forward or higher. Um, And I find that's been a bit disappointing in Toronto. 
Nora later went on to explain that while in Winnipeg, the city was having a reckoning with their art scene, having difficult but much-needed conversations on how to have meaningful representation and how to diversify arts institutions. She felt like these conversations were not happening to that innovative or risk-taking degree in Toronto. Pamela, on the other hand, has lived in many cities that are known for their art, including New York City, but Toronto has always been special to her. Growing up in Toronto, like I, I very much feel Toronto's home, for sure. But home in one sense, but then, you know, you do, you can feel that you're a little bit unsettled in your identity as whatever field you're in, if you if you don't seem to hit the right chord, you know. So um, that took some time in order to find my footing, I would say. Uh, but uh, for the most part, Toronto has definitely been a big part of my, shaping my worldview of what art, the potentiality of art and the possibility of uh, what a future art uh, world looks like or art worlds look like in Toronto. And I feel that diversity definitely is like a strength of the city and the country. Last episode, we discussed the systemic barriers that exist in the art world and cultural institutions in Toronto. But another big barrier is the cost of living. Pamela explains that expensive city life and the lack of resources make it difficult to be a person, let alone an artist. Resources are always an issue. Space is always an issue because I'm a collaborative artist, mostly that I collaborate in in my practice. And then, of course, funding and then, of course, um, getting programmed, you know, so visibility and representation still tend to become larger issues around like when we get to platforms because then it's like how many female artists are we going to share this opportunity with I would say also like time and space like for me to the affordability of having time and space outside of my day job to afford time and space off to make work is like the biggest challenge right so I'm sneaking it in before like the wee hours of the morning from like five to seven and then getting ready for work and going off to work or I'm sneaking it in on a late night like you know or like you know it's like a six to ten kind of thing in the evening perhaps or weekends like you know in terms of creation and production but then also when we are presenting like that often becomes like a little bit tiresome too because you can't take time off of work to do projects that basically don't pay a lot of money. So it's like, it doesn't make sense to walk away from a day job. Much like Pamela, Misba found her community in Toronto, but also has to work a day job so she can afford to practice her art. What is it like being an artist in Toronto? Oh my gosh. Okay. So it's great because the art community here is good and I love all the people and they really inspire me and stuff. I guess the hindrance though is rent. Like rent is so expensive. And then I find myself working like 36 hours a week and then wishing I could put more work into my art. And then like on top of that, trying to have a social life and then also trying to hang out with my mom. Iba also commented that funding is the biggest challenge when it comes to her initiative, Open Gallery. Funds and getting funded is really difficult. A lot of the times I have paid out of my pocket for a space, which is fine, but it gets tricky because sometimes renting out the space is a lot of money. The way I see it is when I see like a big turnout or I see people 
interested in the open gallery and I'll see performers come out and I'll ask them like, hey, where did you hear about the open gallery? When they tell me their answers, it sort of like makes up for it because it's like, wow, open gallery has gone this big. Nira echoes the artist's concerns you just heard, bringing attention to the many upsides and downsides to living in Toronto. Uh, I think there's a lot of barriers to being an artist. It's really hard to keep pushing through um, if you don't sort of have success straight off the bat. And um, and by success, not just, I don't just mean success in terms of uh, name recognition, but but also financial success so you can support your practice. And I think that's a really big challenge for a lot of artists. And it, it has been a challenge for me for a long time, but I've been sort of cobble things together between grants and art sales and an online store and family support. Various sort of inputs have helped me to sort of stay afloat, even though it's been quite challenging at times. But I think definitely... Financially, Toronto can be a very big barrier because uh, the cost of living is so high, the cost of renting or owning is so high, and and I think the opportunities to make an income uh, as an artist are, are, are not that high. We, we have a great granting system. It's competitive, but there are various levels of grants that one can apply for. But I think that the other some of the other barriers are also... Uh, institutionalized racism and institutionalized sexism. And I think those are some of the more significant barriers for artists. One of the last questions I asked the artists was what advice they had for younger ones who aspire to be where they are. Some of their responses were similar, but each had their own distinct advice. Mira encouraged young artists to believe in their artistry. Sort of a few different pieces of advice, and I I think one of them is to completely believe in your own practice. So there are going to be days and weeks and months when you're just, maybe you you don't understand why you're doing this or why you're called to, drawn to do this or what's the purpose or where does it fit? And you just sort of, I think if you can find your own sense of purpose and keep that as a compass within you, um, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be able to continue. And I, I think also thinking about more practically around, um, both financially, how you're going to support your practice, and also creating strong relationships with individuals who work in the arts and with organizations who support artists. I think that creating that network is is really helpful. So going to workshops and going to um, learning about other people's practices and going to events of various sorts. Um, For example, with with workshops, I I took a few workshops, uh, grant writing workshops held by different organizations, or I took a few workshops in finances for artists. And I think that these very practical skills were really helpful and are really important and not always taught in art school. So I think, um, yeah, I think those are some some of the things I would would say. Pamela echoed a lot of what Mira said. You, You really have to believe you know, you really have to work on your emotional core um, and by, like, maintaining a grounding that, you know, you're a creator and you're a producer and you're going to make it happen. And I think affirming yourself and validating yourself in your work is, like, the most beautiful thing. And, of course, engaging with community is always fantastic because there is a community there to witness that you are making a difference and you are adding to cultural production. And 
if you have the will and desire to make, make, you know, and you will figure it out. Like whether you do it through not necessarily the full-time program, but you can take weekend classes, online classes, uh, do it yourself or self-guided uh, route. Like, you know, there's, there's, a, there's so much variety of learning contexts out there now that is just amazing. Hiba also encouraged making a community and using your networks. I would tell them to get connected with me. Let me help you. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. That's what the open gallery is here for. But I would tell them to not give up, to keep pursuing who you are, keep pursuing you and what you're passionate about. Um, it gets hard. I've been there. I've been through the tears, through critique, through the harsh comments. Trust me, I have. You just grow through the experiences. You really do. And you have to keep pushing yourself and hustle hard. Because honestly, five, ten years from, from now, you're going to thank yourself. Noor's advice came with some caution. But I believe she was being honest to her perspective and tried to get across the strength needed to keep pushing through barriers that are out of your control. I honestly actually don't feel it's like for everybody. <laughs> because it, like you do have to give up a lot and have to have like a steel personality for like things you have to fight for or like the kind of insecurities that bubble up when you're doing the work and I don't think I'm not sure if I'm made for it at the end of it all or the the curatorial work I want to do I want to take like a background position like step back and really focus on the work and the artists and I don't think that would suit everybody because you know, there's like story curators now who are like attracted by that idea to like be that person who walks into a room and everybody looks. And I think a lot of people move to that practice because of their desire for power or recognition. So I don't think curatorial work is for everybody, but there are so many ways of engaging with the world through creative work. Mizba echoed Noor's concerns and encouraged people to stay strong in their career path if they really wanted to be an artist. If you want to be an artist and you are like me, you're a girl from Pakistan or from, if you're South Asian, I would say, first of all, are you sure? Are you really sure? <laughs> Do you have any other skills? <laughs> <laughs> and then if you're like still going to be an artist, then I would say like, have an open mind. Hold your ground. Do things that are unfair. You will have jobs that treat you unfairly. Go to your boss's boss. Be a snitch. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, you have to, like, really hold your ground. You have to really, like, push yourself into these spaces. And you have to just, at the same time, like, make sure that the work you're making is is honest. It's, like, what you want to be presenting to the world and like just do your best and good things will happen I think if you put like good intention into the universe and into your work like it all just comes around and people notice always gravitate back to like what is the point of this and is that like the right thing that you're doing you know this brings us to the end of creating third spaces the creation of this podcast from its inception a little over a year ago to me recording this now has been quite the journey. I learned a lot about myself and also met some amazing people during this process. I want to thank all the artists once again for taking the time to talk to me. Mira Sethi, Mizpah Ahmed, Pamela Matharu, Noor Bangu, and Hiba Mian. 
I'm so, so grateful that you opened yourselves up to me and had such amazing and honest conversations. Thank you to my committee, Jamin Pelkey and Zelfa Kirkuchi, and my supervisor, Susan Driver, for all their feedback and guidance throughout this process. Thank you to my program, Communication and Culture, for having a project option so I could make a podcast. And to all my friends and family who heard me yell about this podcast for literal months, you know who you are, I would not have gotten through this without you. And thank you for listening. I'm Amta Minhas, and this was Creating Third Spaces.